When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. I don't know why my... Why did my... Why did I do that? You went way <laughs> up there. Wow. Uh, I'm stirring my coffee, do you feel? Are you going to try... Are you sending me to the sunken place? Uh, it's good to see you. It is good to see you. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I was going to say that the stuff with my voice just now reminded me about how... Even working for an LGBT nonprofit, I still, there's still a fair amount of code switching that I do on a daily mm. basis. Yeah. Not with my coworkers, but with answering the phone or anything like that. Like it's all, all that kind of ingrained hospitality type stuff that I still have in me, which yeah. is so strange. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's always something to reflect on in these in this time of pride. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think we've probably talked about that before on the show. It is really, it's interesting that no matter how aware we are of things mm-hmm. or how much we engage in the discourse, there's still times where you prioritize safety or uh, ego or whatever it is to just not have to deal with somebody else's stupidity or ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> Even in spaces like that, where I'm sure if somebody's calling an LGIA plus nonprofit, they may expect a person of that persuasion, a member of that of the, of the gay alphabet people, letter people may answer the phone and would not judge however the voice comes across. Yeah. <laughs> this is thrilling stuff. We're off and running. <laughs> I know. I just had this moment this week at work where yeah. we had some guests coming to our office and I like realized as I was like going in between talking with them and getting them like situated in a conference room and then going back to talking with my coworkers, I'm like, I had a moment where I'm like, I am actively code switching on a dime (laughs) between (laughs) these two situations here. And that was a that that's I'm still sitting with it. So I appreciate you holding space for me. And can you get practicum <laughs> hours for doing this? How did you feel about that? Um, yes, we're going to do some horizontal di- disclosure and not vertical disclosure. Sorry, horizontal, not vertical, which means we're going to talk about how you feel about disclosing that and not getting deeper into the details of it. Oh, is that what that means? Just <laughs> generally? Okay. Yeah. In the context of therapy. Yeah, just talking about how you feel about something rather than having to give out like all the details or getting like deep into it. That's vertical versus horizontal. 
Mm. Again, something you, that like you could take just into your life. Ask people about how they feel about stuff without needing. It's like when a friend wants to talk to you about something but doesn't want to tell you everything. That's fine. They don't have to do that. Just ask them about how the situation makes them feel. Or how does it feel to tell somebody that something's going on? <laughs> but then what kind of questions? About? <laughs> oh my God. Now, see, you know me. I'm fucking curious. So what does that mean then? What kind of questions do you ask if you want to go deeper and to what end? I guess it depends on the patient and the goal of the therapy. But what is, if you're going vertical, then how, like, how do you do that? Let's just, if you want to tell me more. We do that all the time with the show, like where we talk about things and we're like, should we ask? Because sometimes, dear listener, we know our guests and we know things about them a little bit more deeply than maybe they don't want to talk about on the air. So it's like we have to talk around things. So it just, what's that? You just want to ask, do you want to explore that more? Should we talk more about that? Or we can just leave but, it alone. Or we can just leave it alone for now. Usually I text stuff like that, like when I'm t- talking to people in general, like just friends even when they say stuff. And it's okay, I better take that to the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. For later conversation. Yeah. Anyways, what are we talking about? What is this show becoming? We're talking about gay uh, trauma, Joshua. This is true. Yeah. Which is what Pride is all about, right? Celebrating gay trauma. That's why Pride exists, dear heterosexual listeners that we have. That's why we're yes. grateful that we don't Our need Kinsey straight ones. Pride. <laughs> exactly. We just, we have to celebrate it in the light because it hid in the dark for so long or whatever. Changed the subject drastically. We watched that Dungeons and Dragons movie last <laughs> evening. Have and you seen this? I have. I think. It, I think I'm responsible because when I was over at your place last, I told Jeffrey that I watched it and that he should watch it. So yeah, I'm, I apologize if it was not to your liking, but I also <laughs> don't care. <laughs> it was fun. Did you ever play Dungeons and I can't even say it Dungeons and Dragons? Why is that hard for me? Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons. It's she done you know, I've, I've made some decisions. I've made some decisions. You made some decisions. She done already had her Dungeons and her Dragons. She's the we queen. We already of, knew about. She the done already done Dungeon Dragons. <laughs> yeah, not enough Dungeons, not enough Dragons. I would say <laughs> yeah. that would be my. I'll write that down as my review. But no, seriously, did you grow up with Dungeons and Dragons? Why did you want to watch it? Just for the fantasy of it all or a couple things. One for the fantasy of it all, because I like a good I like a good, like accessible fantasy. Like it's not mm-hmm. too high. There's enough story there. I played D D when a few years ago, a dear friend of mine from high school, he and his fiance wanting to start a DD group with mostly mm-hmm. folks who had never played before and so like only him and his fiance had ever played before so i joined in and i realized that i can't i, I was like i can't do this i have a podcast like i can't <laughs> podcasting is my nerd shit that i do on the weekends i can't spend four hours doing this stuff but thankfully i never had to have that hard conversation because they ended up moving to arizona and this was like pre this was pre covid workarounds Right. So now it's very common for folks to do Dungeons and Dragons remotely. And there's yeah. so much like infrastructure and technology that makes it a better experience. But this was pre any of that where folks, it really, it was something that you should still play in person. And I, and to a certain extent, I agree with that. I think that you do lose a certain bit of magic, <laughs> lose a certain bit of magic when you don't play in person. Mm. However, 
Yeah, that's my only experience. I don't know if I've ever said this on the show before. My character's name was Alton Tealeaf, a halfling bard. Which So it actually thrilled me that like Chris Pine's character in the movie is a bard. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I love it. It was my favorite. I was like, that was probably the best thing of all. I'm like, yeah, that's why I chose to be the bard. And did you? So you didn't grow up with it, or did you know? Did you have cousins or friends that played it? No. Yeah, see me either. I mean, well, and I think that Dungeons and Dragons definitely feels like something that was like geared towards boys. Mm-hmm. So I never really taught because I just hang. I the girls that I hung out with at least did not play Dungeons and Dragons. So I just never really had heard of it until I got older, and and obviously because I'm partnered to a big old nerd nerdy (laughs) he grew up playing it so he loves dungeons and dragons and so watching the movie with him was fun because he was like oh that's like from the original game and that's one of the original whatever they're called what is it the choices that you can make like being a bard what is that called oh you're like class is that it class i think it's class yeah Anyways, something like that. He it was like, he would just comment or he talked about like little Easter eggs and things that they put in to it that were obviously geared towards people who grew up playing it or were part of that original edition of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was super fun just to, again, I always get joy when I go to things that are just for his sensibilities because it's just, he's oh, that's so cool. And they did this and they did that and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's adorable in a way. It's, yeah. It felt like suddenly he was like this 13 year old boy again, getting excited to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I watching it. It was cute. I like the witch and I like, there were some actually really say. cool sequences, long tracking shot type sequences, which I mean, we're like all CGI probably anymore, but like with what's her face from it who played the young Beverly. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I can't remember her name, but she's like an elf thing with horns. She could change. So it was really neat watching her kind of become like, she was like a fly and then like a mouse and then a bird Mm -hmm. and like a deer and like all these different things. Like that whole sequence was really neat. And the sequence where they had like the magic mirror, like the portal. Yeah. In the cart, like yeah, that whole sequence was that really was nice. Cool. So it was like it was fun to watch. I definitely tuned out a few times because it was like over two hours long, which was insane to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Why this movie did not need to be two hours of whatever it was, 134 minutes or something? That did not need to happen. They could have cut that down, like most things anymore. But the at least for me, for my feeling Mm -hmm. i'm sure there were like people who loved it or like hardcore dungeons and dragons people were like this is awesome please make this movie five hours long and hey i hope a copy like that comes for those people that want that (laughs) but yeah i just was like oh man am i like watching a game of dungeons and dragons which i did one time i was invited why some friends because i thought i didn't know really what it was that this is the thing so I had, of course, heard of Dungeons and Dragons, much like I've heard of Vampire of the Masquerade and like these sorts of like role playing games. But I never invested. I wasn't curious about them because that wasn't my world. It wasn't something Mm -hmm. I was interested in. I'd much rather read a book when I was a kid or watch scary movies. That Mm -hmm. was the kind of kid I was. So I wasn't into like role playing games. So I didn't really know what it was. I thought maybe it was like a game, Mm -hmm. like with pieces and a board and like (laughs) something that would maybe last an hour. So I didn't really know. And like I went, um, we were invited by some co-workers to come over and hang out. They were going to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I went with this girlfriend of mine who was like also working with us. And uh, 
but I think she was in a different department. But we were like, yeah, sure, we'll go. And then we'll all go out afterwards. Because it was like Friday or something, like a Friday or Saturday. And we're like hanging out. And then it just goes on and on. And she and I, we were like smokers at the time. We're like, fuck, we'll just smoke and hang out and chill. And then we fell asleep. And I woke up at two in the morning and they were still playing. And I was like, what the fuck is this game? What is this? So I was, yeah. So then I was just, yeah, I can't do this. (laughs) No. But we were just like watching and listening to them. And I'm like, oh, it's they're the people in the game. They're like telling a story, which is interesting. Like you have to be very creative and the person who has to like design like the game and the story and what is it called? A campaign Yep, mm-hmm. has to be creative. And like, I get the strengths of it. And these are, again, this is like Jeffrey coming through me <laughs> as he explained, like the ways that like Dungeons and Dragons have actually helped him be a better, like organizer, worker, creative thinker is from those kinds of early games, especially in the kind of work he does and strategizing that's beautiful yeah exactly so i'm like hey that's all cool not for me but you're like no sir yeah and he actually during covid i think they also tried our our friend mike tried to get a DD game of some sort going i think maybe they had one digital meeting or zoom meeting but i don't really know it is quite a commitment yeah it really is And we have other friends that play other games like that, where it's, yeah, these very big commitments. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I think part of it, again, much like most of my problems with games and childhood joy is take myself, I think, too seriously. It's just too hard to like, let go of and just be like, yeah, I'm an Elling May or whatever. I don't even know. I'm just like making up words. (laughs) Like, I just can't. I just can't even engage in like the thought. It's the same thing I panicked. Remember back during COVID, I think a couple of years ago during the lockdown, I joined that online role-playing game thing. That Yeah, they, you and I both did that, right? Yeah, and I pan- I was like in a full-blown panic before it started because I really did not understand how it worked. And I was really worried about having to be like creative and oh, lost yeah, in you, it and acting. You, I don't yeah. like to act. So it was just, yeah. She just likes to be. She does not like to act. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just here. I just am. So yeah, it was just a very weird experience. But the movie was cute. I don't know if I'd watch it again. But it had some cool sequences. And yeah, I really did the witch. Like, hey, if there's a role like that, can I just come and not have to really engage, but just be like utter chaos (laughs) to the players? Just throw random shit in. How did I know you were going to love that witch? Yeah, she was cool. The design, the robe. Ugh. Delightful. Uh, Daisy, what's her name? Reed? Daisy Reed or something? The the beauty and the like simplicity of her job is to create the living dead. Yeah. <laughs> I think when she was like communing with the next world, she's the living have the line that it's like, the living have had enough of this world. This world has had enough of the living, and now we're gonna raise the dead. I'm like, oh wow. Okay. I'm here for it. Yeah. Oh, and I do love, so you may think that I'm going to say I love Chris Pine in this movie as far as attraction, as far as being an attractress. But honestly, it's all about Justice Smith, who played the wizard Simon. Oh, yeah. He's cute. He is cute. And he is, he was just like adorable the whole time, this bumbling wizarding person. There you go. That was... yeah. I'm glad that we got that part of it out of the way. It's important to know who yes. Joe is attracted to in the film. People you know? are always... Or why even make the movie? Ah. Did you watch anything interesting this week? 
Yes, I went to my friends do an outdoor movie night in the summer called Gay MC. Oh, um, fun. And uh, a poll going as to which movie we were going to watch last night. The, the one that I wanted, which didn't win, was Camp, starring uh, Robin De Jesus and Anna Kendrick about the original movie about kids at a musical theater camp. Oh, because you want to prepare for this new theater camp movie coming out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm really thinking I might go see that with you if you do it at a time that's convenient for me. Of course, <laughs> otherwise I'm not going to go. <laughs> if I have nothing else And going if you catch on. me in a mood where I'm feeling friendly towards theater uh, camp films. <laughs> but go ahead. Sorry. So <laughs> camp did not yeah. win out. Camp did not win. What did win was a movie that I had actually never seen before. Fried Green Tomatoes. You'd never seen that? Mm-mm. What'd you think? Because I love that movie. Of course so, you I'm love sure that this movie. Will sh- oh, really? I thought it would shock <laughs> you that I like that movie. No, of course surprised. you loved it. It was like veiled lesbianism. It's got yes. Kathy Bates in it. Kathy Bates. Tandy. Um, Mary Louise Jessica Parker. Tandy. That's the one. Leslie Tyson. Yes. And then the main lesbian, Iggy or whatever, is he? Iggy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I haven't. I do the movie, but I haven't seen it in a long time. And I'm really bad with names. But I... Mary Stewart Masterson. Yes, Mary Stewart Masterson. Jeez. There it is. As Iggy. As Imogene. Threadgood. Yeah, who else? Oh, my gosh. There's all kinds of people in that movie. Yeah, there are. Oh, my gosh. I think you just solidified my afternoon plans after we finish this. (laughs) Because I haven't watched that in forever. And I love that movie. The Saran Dress. Joe, yes. I really think that you should consider that for a future Halloween. You know how you did What's Her Name from First Wives Club and yes. Sarah Palin before? I you really think I should think do the saran dress? The saran wrap dress, cellophane or whatever the heck it was. God. It was giving like... With a big, huge bow. It, it was giving <laughs> like, for your mini challenge. <laughs> yes! Anyway, so what do you think of the movie? I thought it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. Did you cry? What it was, I did not cry. Oh, it is. (laughs) It is horrific, though. It could. We could do it for the show. There's. (laughs) It. There's. It remains to be seen how horrific, but it was pretty darn. Yeah. There's no. It's a dark story. A thirty-year-old movie, but there's (laughs) the clan is in it. There's racism. There's domestic violence. Cannibalism. Cancer. Cancer, Cecily Tyson only getting two lines. Yes, that is the great horror (laughs) of it all. I'll tell you that. Uh Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good movie. One of those feel good of the 90s type type deals. I think this is good if you like watch this and then Divine Secrets of the uh, Sisterhood. (laughs) Maybe throw in Dolores Claiborne. (laughs) And Misery. No, there was another. What's the other I was thinking of? Thelma Louise. (laughs) You know what I kept thinking? Because the scenes, like the the background, the locations all looked very familiar. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the scene where Iggy is smoking and playing poker down by the juke joint. And then like the preacher's talking about it. And I was like, is this basically the white color purple? Because there's like <laughs> lesbianism. Think about it, though. When you watch yeah. it today. I will. I'll consider it. Yeah. Consider that it is the white color purple. Okay, so we're going to do a film festival with the color purple, fried green tomatoes. Yes, and Dolores Claiborne. <laughs> Dolores Claiborne. I'm here for this. No, just the one just the one scene from 
the first season of How to Get Away with Murder, where Cecily Tyson talks about killing her, killing her, killing a man. That's what you need yeah. to do. I love it. This is a great, this is great. This is all good. <laughs> all right. That, that feels really sufficiently queer. Fried Green Tomatoes. I like that. You got a good queer film with your little queer group. I enjoy that. Yes. Backyard, what'd you call it? Backyard what? Gay MC. Gay MC. Jesus. Do yeah. you all do the prayer with Nicole? No, we do the one with Katya. That's Gay MC. <laughs> uh, okay. I like it. Where she does a terrible Melbourne accent. And and then before and after, we're watching Padam Padam and mm-hmm. other ones. Oh, yes. And she released an extended. <gasps> There's an extended? Video. Yes. Ooh. It's like four minutes, one second. Oh. The one second. <laughs> or something happy like that. Pride. Yes. Happy Pride. Because the song's really quick. It's only two and a half minutes or something. All, like just under three minutes or something. So, yeah, it was cool to get a, a, a longer version and more... Kylie, hey, what is it? Fabricography <laughs> with her. I feel like it's choreography that I could do. Yeah. I'm doing a little bit right now. And yeah, uh, yeah. I think I would love to just see you standing on top of a car with a diaphanous piece of fabric. <laughs> I think it'd be awesome. So far, my favorite <laughs> joke of is my friend Jake. He was posting that he's my comedian friend. I've been on his podcast, lives in Baltimore. He posted just like he was performing he's a stand-up comic so he's performing and he was like dear sir or padam <laughs> that's what we should do from now on yes <laughs> dear sir or padam no you need one for both so we have to find something that works like ladles and gentle spoons you need she's gays and they's exactly cisgender thems <laughs> <laughs> just need something that like totally like messes with the whole thing but yeah it's what is that selena song bitty bum it's like that it's that sort of <laughs> construct <laughs> but um but it's like really confusing people people are like what does this mean because yeah. <laughs> we don't listen to the lyrics of songs so we don't know <laughs> i know i'm like you just need to listen to the it's really not that hard folks yeah you just yeah, need to listen but... to padam it's the heartbeat um, yeah i love it though i love the song a lot i've listened to it a whole bunch it's fun it's silly it's very kylie I love seeing it like take off for her. Like she's so shocked by it. It seems like by how big it's gotten. I've been like listening to interviews and stuff with her and uh, yeah, it's cool. That's the gay success story that we needed this year in the one of them. We need a lot more, but just seeing Kylie like back on top. <laughs> and Madonna's so... doing good with those two singles that she released with Sam Smith and like the weekend, which I mean, the weekend is mired in a whole other thing, but. They're fun singles. So it's just, oh, queer icons. Women queer icons are just doing the thing. (laughs) They're out here doing the Angela Bassett. They're doing the thing. They are. All right. Let's take a quick break. And then we are going to come back and discuss the old dark house. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your song. Hey there, are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. All right. Welcome back. So this week, 
We are talking about the old dark house from 92. We're taking it way back. Cool, because it's a pre-Hayes Code. The Hayes Code would kick in 19, what was it? 1934 to 1968. So just under the wire here, Mm -hmm. old Mm -hmm. James Whale. Just to start, I want to read, this is from Monsters in the Closet. A discussion of homosexuality and the classical Hollywood horror film often begins and all too frequently ends with the work of James Whale, the openly gay director who was responsible for fashioning four of Universal Studios' most memorable horror films, Frankenstein, The Old Dark House, The Invisible Man, and Bride of Frankenstein. Ooh, that is a big sentence. Like when you think of like modern horror and you think of Mm -hmm. the influence, these, at least three of these films, it's more specifically two, Frankenstein and and The Bride of Frankenstein. But still, the others, The Invisible Man was also, I think, a pretty big hit in its day. We've not done that film on the show, but we will eventually. And now, and then, of course, today is The Old Dark House. Like, that puts, like, one queer man as a a pretty big influence on horror, visually. Mm -hmm. And so today we thought, because we have covered Frankenstein and we have covered The Bride of Frankenstein in the past. In fact, no, it wasn't part of our, we did a Bride series, right? It wasn't uh, queer, no. no. Yeah. Although we talked about how queer the Bride of Frankenstein is. Let's make us a woman, Joe. We're going to make a whole woman. <laughs> um, Hanny, it's Hanny. We're going to make us Hanny. a woman. <laughs> but yeah, so today we will discuss The Old Dark House, which, like I said, was from 1932. It's based on a novel called Benighted by J.B. Priestley. And we got all kinds of people. The It's a, a who's who of early Hollywood, right? We got Boris Karloff. Awesome. Gloria Stewart, Charles Lawton, who was married to Elsa Lanchester, who played the bride in The Bride of Frankenstein. Katie Nana. Uh, <laughs> Katie Nana, of course, more importantly, right? Um, more importantly, yes, Katie Nana. Ernest Thessinger, who played Dr. Pretorius in Bride of Frankenstein, another a pretty gay role. So here again, he's playing this role, mm-hmm. this kind of character. Yes, um, Mr. Femme, what is it? What's his first name? Yeah, Horace Femme. Horace Femme. Yeah. <laughs> Horace. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so the film is a pretty, I like this because it's such like a standard horror film setup. It's a dark and stormy night and strangers have to take refuge in the house of of strangers. <laughs> Lots of strangers being forced to, to shelter together. And then bizarre ensues as the film goes on. Joe, what did you think about this? It's a relatively short. So, hey. I didn't make you watch something that was like four hours long, like Dracula. No, correct. But 71 minutes. So it's a quick jaunt through a bizarre little world. <laughs> I just can't get uh, the first thing I'll say is that I just can't get the name right. <laughs> Every time I would. Oh, I need to go watch that movie. What's it called? This old house. They, <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you're watching Bob Vila. Building yes, a, like uh, Bob Vila. A, and a trust for something. Like, what is know. going on here? What lesbian ness is this i'm definitely not watching it again period (laughs) okay it was fun it was very histrionic there was just a lot of repeating it reminded me of it reminded me of his girl friday which i think is also a pre-code movie but i'm i'm not sure hold on now i need to look that up his girl his girl friday see this is what happens his girl friday (laughs) <laughs> Is it a pre-code movie? Yeah, what year did that come out? Oh, no, it was 1940. Oh, okay. It reminded me of that because it's got like a lot of really fast-paced banter. But I, yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was just like I, I was trying to 
imagined the through line the entire time of what this could all be. And it was very much like an old dark house where every time you opened up a new door, there was a new someone was there <laughs> with new information. And I'm yes. like, you're what? We have so much new information in 70 minutes. What is <laughs> happening here? There was no resolutions. It was fine. It was fine. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, all right, so then we can just do a dive into talking about what makes this movie such a queer little nugget of early uh, film. So like I said earlier uh, before, with the Hayes Code coming in, uh, it banned certain things like profanity, licentious or suggestive nudity, trafficking in drugs, inference of sex perversion, white slavery, miscegenation, which is mixing between people of different races, if that's a word you didn't know. Sex, like venereal diseases, childbirth, you couldn't ridicule the clergy, and any other willful offense to any nation, race, or creed. So obviously this movie is made before the code because it gets away with all sorts of things. There are hints at like incest, necrophilia maybe, male and female homosexuality, androgyny, sadomasochism, orgiastic behavior. Because when it first, when the movie comes uh, up, it's not, so I think in in horror, we're usually, we're used to seeing either like a couple Mm -hmm. or like a group to a group of couples or like a group of friends who don't have like sexual relation or not seemingly. And this movie starts out with uh, a threesome who comes to the house and Mm -hmm. The, it's 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 an interesting conversation. So one of the things that uh, comes from the novel this is based on was this sort of uh, thought of a post World War One pessimism uh, between like classes of people, and then of course like divided amongst different parts of Europe and particularly in England. And something that I, I had just read was this idea of like Wales because that's where they are as mm-hmm. this like odd weird place so if you would have seen this then and read the movie the fact that they were there it's, oh of course this like weird thing is happening interesting <laughs> of course they're welsh yeah <laughs> we're in these, wales like, these I, they even say that a couple <laughs> times right yeah yeah which is something that i didn't really i was like yeah so what you're like in wales but i didn't really understand like the history of just of like class uh, when it comes to the welsh and then also the yeah just this idea that they're like Odd. That's this odd countryside that they're lost in, <laughs> where they might come across something weird. So you have a, a, a person who's in that uh, group who was a soldier, and or was he a soldier, or he was some kind of army person, or he was in the enlisted somehow, and they're representing the other cu- the couple are like I mean upper class, and they're meeting with these like strange people who live in this like decrepit house out in the middle of nowhere, and then. A couple more people show up. That's Charles Lawton, who is a kind of a new money type person. So Mm -hmm. he's relatively young, new into his uh, hanging out with this like chorus girl who he doesn't have a sexual relationship with, which is very interesting. Yeah. And they even make a joke. It's very, this film is very double entendre where it's, he wants everybody to think he's gay or something, or he's so gay. And Charles Lawton, historically, as far as we know, was a lot of books that one of the, the book that I was reading called him, but he was married to Elsa Lanchester. And there were some other women who have claimed to have slept with him that he was actually bisexual. Mm. But this, yeah, this caused the homosexual Charles Lawton and his wife, Elsa Lanchester were good friends of Wales. And they both worked in his horror films. 
So you just have this weird mix of of the supposed normies, but amongst them, they're their own group of insane characters. And then, of course, they are taking residence in this house with, as we said before, Ernest Thessinger as Horace mm-hmm. Femme. I love that their last name mm-hmm. is Femme. And his sister, Rebecca. And they... Their roles are really weird because it's I at first I thought they were supposed to be siblings. Sorry, were you gonna I, I thought you gestured at me. <laughs> no, I was gonna say they I thought they were siblings too. Yeah, but apparently they're married. They what? called it. Hold on one second. Did I miss that? Hold on. There was a mention that they were oh, I think I well, one of the things I read is that they were married, but hold on. Okay. Yeah, maybe they just I think somebody made a mistake. Because one of the articles I read said that they were husband and wife. But yeah, they're like siblings. Yeah, because he's, this is my sister, Rebecca. All right. So they meet this. So we have this wild group of people who are now at the home of uh, Horace Femme, which I love, again, played by Ernest Thesiger, and his sister, Rebecca Femme. Uh, played by Ava Moore, and they're siblings, but they have a dynamic that kind of hints at maybe something more. But again, it's like mm-hmm. it's not so explicit. And they also, mm-hmm. gender wise, are very like Horace is. I think if we watching this now feels very like almost stereotyped, like he's playing playing gay. <laughs> Although I do wonder if um, Ernest was just like that, anyways, because it's very similar to the character in uh, Pretorius in yeah. um, in Bride. And then Ava, she's more, or Rebecca, the character Rebecca, is very kind of masculine-edged, very into God. It feels like she's the man of the house in a way. Yeah, she's overbearing. Uh, and Yeah, she's filling yeah. that role. And then Boris Karloff plays Morgan, their butler. <laughs> and then there's another sibling in the house who's locked up, Saul, uh-huh. because they're worried that he's going to set everything on fire. He's like a pyromaniac. And then something really weird that they do is there's the father of these people, Sir Roderick Femme, who is upstairs. And again, you're right. Every time they open a door, they like meet more people. (laughs) So it's like all of this kind of slowly is unveiled throughout the night. How many people are actually living in this house and their relationships? But Sir Roderick is a woman in drag, Elspeth Dudgeon, playing a man but there's not really a comment on it. Like it's not a, it was just like something I guess whale thought would be interesting to do. I'd, I'd really like to ask him about like, what, why like some old man that you knew, like why have a woman play this role? <laughs> it's par for the course, right? Where at least as I was watching it, because when Rebecca is telling, Oh God, what was her? I can't even keep all the characters names straight. I know there's a lot of people in it, but yeah, the blonde woman in the initial threesome, Margaret, yeah, Gloria Stewart's character. So when Rebecca's telling Margaret, she's changing, right? And she's, oh, my father actually lives here in the upstairs. And before she even, she said his age is 102, right? Yeah. And before she even said that, I like, I'm like watching it and I immediately was like, what? He's, you look old. She old as hell. Would the father still alive? Yeah, it's very twisted. That actual whole scene. So that, see, that's one of those scenes in the movie. So you're talking about, they because they've come there ostensibly because they got rained out, they got trapped. And so they're seeking shelter. Mm -hmm. That's Margaret, Philip, and then their friend, Roger Penderel, which again, it's hinted at what maybe their relationship between the three of them could be. Uh Because they're all very friendly with each other. (laughs) But so Margaret wants to change because she's wet. 
Mm-hmm. And so Rebecca takes her to a room to help her change, but then she's accosting her, like talking about sin and mm-hmm. just all of this, like God stuff, while at the same time, like touching her dress, talking about how fine it is, but it's going to rot. And then she gra- touches her chest mm-hmm. and is, this is finer too, but it will rot as well. It's just the whole sequence is very bizarre, especially for that time. And it just, yeah, it hints it. And again, everybody in this, movie is queer as hell in this family and it's like you said it's that it's the double entendre it's the double meaning it's like you blink and you kind of miss it yeah because it does move fast but there's just all these little hints at things and then again the casting of charles lawton who was at least known james whale was pretty out i think I don't think he was like a flag waver, as they would say, but I think people generally knew. And so he invited like friends of his to like work on his films that were also like part of a queer, a kind of queer community. And then, like I said, he was also friends with Elsa Lanchester, who I've not read her memoir, which now I really want to because I didn't even know she wrote one, but I discovered in doing some research for this. Because she and Charles never had children. So, of course, there's all this. Of course not. Because Of course, because he's gay, right? Because he was gay and it was like a beard. It was like it was a lavender marriage kind of deal. I'm not sure about Elsa herself, if she was on the spectrum of queerness or not. Mm. I don't know. But so he's got him in this film, Ernest. And then again, we can like wander at the other people involved, how closer not they were to, to James and how much they themselves were like queer people. But yeah, there's just a lot like on the underneath this movie happening that it just because the the book it's based on is pretty is a serious, much more serious. And this kind of is infused with a camp kind of aesthetic. I saw that word arch again. James Whale was described Mm -hmm. as a a, a bitter arch homosexual, I think, by which again, by people who apparently like historians of people who knew him say an arch bitter homosexual who had created his own public self that in time increasingly became a monster. Ooh, that's, that's quite something. That's, I think that's what I want you to read at my funeral. I want that to be my (laughs) eulogy. I'm just going to read that particular part. Yeah. Just read that. Oh, Alan Napier, uh, actor, Alan Napier. Look at that. See, it's meant to be. He described whale as enigmatic with a taint of sadomasochism in his homosexuality, which doubtless became more dominant as success adversely affected his career. Jesus. Wow. Oh, he was dubbed the queen of Hollywood by James Whale. Interesting. Gay sensibility for sure. But again, this is like in Bride and Frankenstein, this this film, besides having these characters that have an inherent queerness, it also feels like he's commenting on heterosexuality in a way as well like just the the nature of straight relationships or because like i said everybody's a freak in this in a way like he gives them all a little like all little hints of of stuff going on like everybody everybody is a little bit more than meets the initial eye sure sure i also think it's very strange the what's the other woman gloria who comes or gladys yeah gladys the Duquesne and then Perkins is actually her last name, the chorus girl. She decides she's going to marry Roger after they've only met for a few hours. Oh my it's God. Like, yeah. I'm like, this, see, straight people have never been okay. No. <laughs> and the guy she's with that she comes there with, Sir William Porterhouse, Charles Lawton's character. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. It really, he's the conversation that they have, right? About, oh, he 
just like sits at my bed and watches me when he doesn't watch you do what exactly we just don't do anything and i'm like oh she wants to marry him because she like she wants to fuck that's what <laughs> right. like, i want to be in a relationship where i can fuck and I, apparently i can do that with you Pendrel, what that's his last name right uh Pendrel, uh, yeah yeah it's just it's i'm like what are we doing what are we watching before we move on, I, I don't know no. if you're going to bring this up, but before we yeah. move on, the initial, the first scene, right? All of that stuff with the car and the driving, I thought that was beautiful, beautifully shot for the time period. Oh, um, yeah. With the, the special effects and just the sarcasm of, I'm doing quite well. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, there was a joke about, I'm soaked inside, but not out. I don't know. I laughed at that. It made me like... Yes. I was like, huh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you are with your <laughs> your three your thruppleness, giving thruple over yeah. here. But speaking of that, it reminded me of the beginning of Bride of Frankenstein mm. with Mary Shelley and all of her and the two other guys that she's with. And yeah. I was like, I wonder if because it's whale, right? I wonder if that was intentional, this idea of the couple and the third wheel. But like yeah. Also, at the same time, they're kind of a unit. Yeah, yeah. Again, it makes me wonder, like, the things that can be okay, like the instances where, like, a certain queerness is allowed. If it's yes. two men with a woman, if you have that sort of sexual arrangement, or a man with two women. there Again, there is a way of sexuality and so-called perversions. of So you're comparing all these things. And again, that's what in this movie... Because there are all these weird little hints at stuff between the siblings and their queerness and then Mm -hmm. just the, yeah, the way that they treat the guests, the anxiety around sex. Because Rebecca keeps insisting, there are no beds. You can all stay here, but no beds for any of you. (laughs) None of you. You She knows what happens. She knows what happens in a bed. And she would very much like to join in that, but she can't because of her like insane religiosity, which again, I think speaks to in watching the movie when you think about the time frame. And again, this is still, here we are a hundred years-ish, almost a hundred years later from this film, 90 years, having the same kind of conversations. Like Mm -hmm. my God says, I'm not allowed to do this. So you're not either. And I'm going to try to control your uh, sexual behaviors and and anything that I deem perverse Anything I deem perverse, you you have to succumb or you have to yeah. fall in line to that. And yeah, so he uses her in a really interesting way of being this per, this character who has these clearly queer leanings, the way she like mm-hmm. goes after Margaret and touches her and all of that, while at the same time talking about God and going on these kind of like little rants about the Lord and righteousness. And so it's James Whale, like most of us queer people who have had the privilege of knowing somebody like this and then seeing them on the apps or seeing them at a bathhouse or seeing them be arrested for trying to get some, something in a bath uh, airport bathroom. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, we're well aware that uh, much like American horror story covens, like I know you religious people are the biggest perverts of all. <laughs> and I think that there's something being said about that with this with this movie and with her and then you also have Horace very much voicing those like he calls her praying like a little tribal custom he's very dismissive of it he's Mm -hmm. 
we have to deal with this because he's probably long been the recipient of like her controlling this around this yeah because he's been eyeing morgan for the last 50 years thinking i want to get something going here but morgan as we realize has something going on with his other brother or the other brother i don't know if he's his brother I'm very I'm still very confused about who's related to who. I need a family tree. I think but Morgan Saul, Saul is definitely a brother, but Morgan, I I don't know if he's related. Are they brothers? <laughs> but so Morgan is like the silent butler. He attacks a couple of the women, but that's also confusing because that's is he attacking them out of his own like uncontrollable mm-hmm. like urges, or are they uh distracting the men folk that he would like to have a private moment with? I don't sure. know. It's like a weird a weird vibe because when they when he let Saul out of the room who's also a bit dramatic I guess we'll say he's musical mm-hmm. as uh, I remember being described when I was a child <laughs> by other people he's a bit got musical he's a bit musical wow <laughs> so he's very he's got a very, very big flair for the dramatic and then grab tries to set the house on fire <laughs> and that whole sequence was also super weird with Saul so he gives this whole conversation about Saul and David uh, to uh, which mm-hmm. guy was that? It was uh, oh shoot, who was it that fell? Was it Roger? It was Pendrel, I thought. Yeah, Roger Pendrel. Yeah. Roger. Yeah, he gets into a fight with Saul. First, Saul tells him that he loves him, mm-hmm. and then goes on with this whole long rant about Saul and David, and then tries to stab him, and then runs off with the flaming brand or flaming log to start setting the house on fire. And Roger tries to stop him and they get in this wrestling match, but like Saul goes at his neck and it's like, it does, it looks like he's trying to bite him, but it also looks like he's trying to lick him or kiss him. And then he's also like wildly humping him. while He's trying to, that whole sequence was so strange to me. I don't know if you like got any of that, but it was just, it looked like he was like, it was very like fire. And then like, yeah jumping on this man and trying to caress well, like, his neck and even what some of the stuff he was saying about again it's some of it was double entendre some of it was yeah. just entendre it was just straight up and then immediately wanting to put something on fire flames flamer hello right it's very yeah sometimes it feels very on the nose again we're looking at it 90 years later from our perspective and things that we know of queer culture now but it's just a really bizarre sequence, that whole, I was just like, is he going to try to have sex with him while the house burns down around them? That might be a pyromaniac dream. That might be the thing. One thing I want to bring up, because it's related <laughs> to the name, is Saul's talking about David and mm-hmm. like all of that stuff. Well, there is a, there is some scholarship out there to suggest that David in the Bible and Jonathan, who's another character from the Book of David in the Bible, have a queer relationship, or there can be a homosexual reading between those two characters. Of That's David the and one, Jonathan. Are they the ones that sometimes people say were married? Yeah. The what is it? The biblical text does not explicitly depict the nature of their relationship, but it's the traditional mainstream religious interpretation has been one of platonic love, but Again, it's one of those things where people, especially queer people, looking for the representation of themselves in religious texts, and especially the most one of the most popular religious texts being the Christian Bible, that's where folks go to it. Just wanted to point that out there. Yeah, it made a lot of sense, like that whole story when we're talking Mm -hmm. about like queerness in this movie. It's oh, 
yeah, wild to pull that in. And then, like I said, have this kind of sequence where it just, it looked very much like he was trying to have some sort of encounter. Well, with, uh, and Rod. he's what, th- he's brandishing a knife, right? Threatening him. <laughs> Again, we know, I think it's from, I forget which of our texts, but we know that the knife as a symbol of a phallus that wanting to stab, enter right, yeah. another person, enter another yeah, man. The- yeah, I think that's from Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Yeah. I think she talks a lot about that within feminist context. Yeah, we could certainly read that as he's branding, brandishing this big knife at him. <laughs> but again, it this whole sequence after Saul and Roger fall off the, the upper area, balcony, whatever you want to call that, of the staircase. Uh, and then Morgan comes back in and finds Saul. And it's a very, that's a really tender, weird moment too. He Mm -hmm. picks him up. He like is kissing him and holding him to him. And it's very, it's very romantic in a way because he picks him up and carries him away. Yeah. uh, One of the articles described it as like a bridal carry and then takes him upstairs. Mm. What are you doing with that body, Morgan? What is happening? This is very weird. So it's it's both. It's it's so twisted. It's like Mm -hmm. this moment where Morgan is clearly sad about this death especially because this whole time we've been told that Saul is insane and all of this so so clearly they as these two outcasts in the family (laughs) outcasts of outcasts yes they've developed some kind of relationship and they have this kind of really romantic sad scene in the end of carrying of him carrying him away yeah so kind of leaves us with that this one of the things I brought up when I first sent this to you is that Richard O'Brien cites this as one of the inspirations for the Rocky Horror Picture Show or for the Rocky mm-hmm. Horror Show, which later became the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And watching this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see that. There are a lot of things that I feel he lifted right from it mm-hmm. and pulled into the imagery of of Rocky Horror. The carrying at the end, like the way Rocky carries like Frank mm-hmm. and, of course, the couples, the seemingly straight-laced heterosexual couple that comes, has their their lives Turned a little yep. inside out by the queer members of the household. Mm-hmm. But then by the end, everybody's returned to a state of normalcy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we end with the kind of the couples, not in Rocky Horror, obviously, because there's only the one couple and then Dr. Scott. But the who's left at the end, it's Roger. Yeah, the house did not burn down. So we have Philip and Margaret. They go off to find help of some sort. And mm-hmm. then Gladys and William stay behind uh, to help uh, Roger. And then Roger asks Gladys to marry him. Again, a woman he met only like less than 12 hours ago. And she kisses him. Oh, that was a funny thing, too, because Charles Lawton, again, uh, re- being read as a queer character and as a queer person, makes a noise over the wedding the proposal mm-hmm. <laughs> that feels really snarky and it's like the last thing said in the movie so there's even in the end like a dismissiveness yeah. of the heterosexuality <laughs> of this couple like whatever which apparently was echoed by people who saw the film they found the couples laughable at times or did not buy into like their love stories but again mm-hmm. that may have been the point uh, when again when you put this in the hands of a queer person to tell this very strange uh, story with lots of different couples, lots of different arrangements being hinted at. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, like thumbing your nose at kind of the whole concept of heteronormity. Like everybody, this is everybody's weird. <laughs> yeah. And everybody can be, can do what they want with their life in a way. Yeah. I have a feeling this is that the, they saw this movie, the ubiquitous they, and we're like, we really need a code. 
<laughs> so stuff like this doesn't happen because people are going to get the wrong. This movie is going to make everybody gay. <laughs> we so don't understand this. We need. And the- then they hid this movie because it disappeared for a long time. It wasn't it was rediscovered. What was it? it got lost? Yeah. So it got lost. The rights were lost by Universal Studios. And then a remake happened in 63 with William Castle, which I've not seen, but I would like to because William mm-hmm. Castle, he's another one of those wild filmmakers who made some really strange movies, including I think he did, was it Street Jacket with he did House on Haunted Hill, which we have talked about on the show. Mm-hmm. He did the original 13 Ghosts, Mr. Sardonicus, Straight Jacket with Joan Crawford. Yeah, so he's I'm just I was reading the remake is also a Hammer film, right? Yes, it was co-produced with Hammer Film Productions. Anyways, this version of the film got lost in the shuffle and it was rediscovered in the 60s. So some 30 years after it was released, and then they were able to restore it and finally release it. And so now it's actually very well beloved in horror circles. Mm -hmm. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is amazing. I love this impressively atmospheric and hilariously grim. And then Time Out put it on, it was placed at number 71 on their top 100 list of top horror films, which again, I think you can see for a film this early from 1932, you can see how it's influenced so many. Like we see tropes mm-hmm. in this that you'd see and that we just saw. In fact, I can't, I don't want to say because the that episode will be out after this episode, but tropes that we just saw in a film that we went to see together mm-hmm. in this movie from 90 years ago. So it's remained relevant in, in some ways. And yeah, it's just a really strange little movie that I thought it'd be fun to make you watch. <laughs> And again, oh. I do think that it is for this time period, there, there are some really outrageous things in it that are shocking. Like you're like, wow, did that really, is that what they just said? Is that what, did I see what I saw? <laughs> I, I feel like this is, uh, often I, I think about how you can take movies like this that have the double entendre that are, that have a, that kind of run the line between explicit and implicit queerness and strangeness. And you should just remake it, but remake it, not shot for shot, but word for word, make it word perfect, but then have like all of the people, the actors and the performers actually are very explicit in, it's no longer a double entendre. It is like showing you, it's showing you what it is as opposed to telling you and the words are saying something that are different. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I think this is one of those movies I would love to see like Peaches Christ do with a bunch of drag actors. Yes. Or um, like just, yeah, make it with a, uh, yeah, as like a special, like a variety, you know. And Insider as Boris Karloff. (laughs) Yes. Oh, please. That'd be so cool. Yeah, I think that'd be a blast because it's just, it's such a bizarre, weird little movie. I wonder if the script, I'll have to check if this is in the public domain or not. Probably is. Maybe we could, we could arrange that ourselves, Joe. You're we love doing do stuff a, like that. A, a play version of the old dark house. With drag queens? With drag queer people up and down. The he's, the she's, the they's, the them's. Yeah. All of the things. The thumbs. Yes. Ba-dum, ba-dum, all of them. <laughs> all of the things. It'd be super fun. Or was that play I saw where it's like all all the characters are gay, but they're all pretending to be straight? I don't remember what it was. I went to see it years ago. It was really funny. But anyways, that was completely non sequitur since I can't remember what it was about. But 
Anyways, uh, or I can't remember what the title was. Alrighty, there we go. The Old Dark House. I, I recommend watching it. It's a lot of fun. This is a perfect Halloween night movie to put on at a bar or like this. Oh my gosh, this in a gay bar with the dancing music. Yeah. <laughs> Pumping. We need some <laughs> listener to do a supercut of images from, from the Old Dark House, but to Padam. Yes, please. <laughs> Because that's what, oh, at the end of the day, that is, I think, what this movie is about. The heart and what the heart wants. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or this that... or like the telltale heart, but it's put up. Ah, yes. I love that. Oh, my gosh. That's what this whole, the next run of episodes are all going to be about how to fit to everything. The yes. gay national, the new gay national anthem for 2023. Um, Wouldn't that be already... cool, though, if we did a queer version of the telltale heart, but it's like you can hear someone you can hear like playing padam underneath the floorboards yeah. you can or, hear it and yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh joshua i see what you did there uh, all right joe we're keeping the pride train going so i will we'll be here again next week to talk more gay stuff and horror. i love it all good right. night good night Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs> listening to the Geekscape Network.